Hi, and welcome to Your Own Podcast. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, Ontario Animal Health Network uh, Coordinator, and today we're talking about Cystocircus ovus, a topic that our small ruminant network has been following closely. We're joined by Dr. Brad DeWolf, uh, who's a master's at, who has a master's at um, U of G in epidemiology and did his master's project on uh, C. ovis. As well, we're joined by Dr. Alexandra Reed, who is a veterinary scientist with the uh, Ministry of Agriculture, uh, Food and Rural Affairs, OMAFRA, in the Veterinary Inspection and Audit uh, Group. And we're joined today by Dr. Brad DeWolf, who's a veterinarian, but also a master's in epidemiology. Uh, and the focus of his uh, epidemiology master's was um, Cystocircus ovis. So we are going to be doing um, a review and also um, kind of the state of the union. Um, and finally, we will be joined by um, Dr. Alexandra Reed from the Veterinary Science Unit um, in OMAFRA. So welcome, Brad. Thank you very much. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Cystocircus ovis, what it is, the life cycle, the spread, that kind of thing. Sure. So Cystocircus ovis is, is a parasite. It's uh, the larval stage of a canine tapeworm um, called Tinea ovis. And, and that tapeworm resides or lives in the small intestine of canids. So domestic dogs, wild canids, they're all susceptible. And within the small intestine, it, it releases eggs, and those eggs get passed out into the environment when the dog or canid defecates. Um, and that's when the intermediate host, uh, a sheep or goat, gets infected. So they come along grazing, say, a pasture that's been contaminated with infected feces. Um, the sheep will then pick up those eggs, um, and within the sheep, those eggs will hatch and the larva will migrate to the muscle of the sheep where they form these very characteristic cysts. Okay. All right. And why is it a concern for Ontario sheep producers and vets? Yeah, so Cystocircus ovis or C. ovis is, is a concern mainly because in 2000, like prior to 2008, we saw a little bit here and there in Canada, mostly in Western provinces. Um, but then all of a sudden in 2008, Ontario abattoirs were seeing a dramatic spike in the number of carcasses, lamb carcasses, being condemned due to Cystocircus ovis infection. And so we were worried, just because of the numbers we were seeing, that this was going to become a, a significant um, health concern for sheep. Certainly it doesn't, it doesn't actually cause the sheep any um, impact and it's not a zoonotic concern but it's a meat quality concern. Okay. okay. Um, so the cysts found in the meat uh, result in these carcass condemnations. Okay and uh, can you tell us a bit about your research on yeah, for sure. So, so in 2009 to 2011, we did, with the help of OMAFRA and the Canadian Sheep Federation, we did a, a case control study. So basically, we looked at Ontario abattoirs and we took carcasses that were condemned due to C. ovis infection. And then from there, uh, we, we were able to trace those carcasses back through the Canadian Sheep Federation and the Canadian Sheep Identification Program, we were able to trace those carcasses back to their farm of origin. Um, we also matched these case uh, farms with control farms. So, so those were sheep that were slaughtered on the same day at the same plant as these uh, 
infected sheep, but they, they were from farms that had never had a carcass condemnation. From there, we did a, a questionnaire over the phone with the producers themselves, and the questionnaire was like 26 to 30 questions, and they asked about farm management, it asked about um, how, how big their flock was, where they were located, um, how they managed their flock, all, all sorts of questions. And from there, we compared case farms to control farms. And from that, that data, we were able to determine risk factors, um, okay. on-farm risk factors associated with COVIS condemnations. Okay, so now I have to know what the risk factors are. <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the two main risk factors we found that were highly significant in our study were um, having dogs on the farm that had access to dead stock, so they were scavenging carcasses. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was one. And then that the odds ratio, so if you had dogs on your farm scavenging dead stock, that increased your odds of having a COVIS condemnation by four times. Okay. The other big risk factor we found out was on a lot of farms, there were producers that weren't adequately disposing of dead stock, so, so they didn't have a, a determined disposal method. Maybe they just go back to the, the back of their property and, and th dispose of dead stock that way. So producers who did that, they increased their odds of having a COVIS condemnation by 11 times. Wow. Um, so, so pretty significant. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think the main thing, too, it, it really emphasizes is um, it's not necessarily the farm dog, so sheep producers, they often will have dogs on their farm for guardian dogs, um, herding dogs, maybe pet dogs. It's not even necessarily those dogs that could contribute to COVIS uh, spread, but even neighbor's dogs and stuff, so, and potentially wild canids. So I think it's important, and from what we found, it's really important to emphasize good dead stock disposal methods. Okay, all right. Um, so what action, okay, so aside from those two things, mm -hmm. which you just, which are also, which are really strong things to recommend to people, what other actions should, veterinar should veterinarians uh, recommend to their producers to reduce the risk? Yeah, so the main, so the key to preventing uh, significant uh, COVIS condemnations is disrupting that life cycle. And so you can do that two ways. You can either prevent dogs from scavenging carcasses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main thing we should focus on because again, it's like I just mentioned, it's not necessarily the, the dogs on that particular farm. Like a, a, do, a producer could deworm all of his dogs on that farm, but if a neighbor's dog is still coming over yeah. and snacking on some sheep carcasses, it could potentially be spreading. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the main thing we want to emphasize is, is really good, um, thorough dead stock disposal methods where, where canids can't have access to those sheep carcasses. The other thing that needs to be emphasized too is, is at least regular deworming of farm dogs, okay. okay? Especially if they're having contact with sheep carcasses. Okay, so that leads me directly into my next question, which is what are the treatment recommendations for dogs that come in contact with sheep? Yeah, so having contact with sheep on their own, like if it is not a risk factor at all, right? Uh, the main thing is, is if that dog is going to consume some of that sheep meat. Okay, so just having a dog go around with a sheep flock, if it never has a chance to consume 
like dead cheap meat, um, there's no risk at all. The risk is there if if you're disposing if a sheep dies or you're disposing of dead stock, and then a dog has a potential to scavenge right, uh, okay. some of that carcass. And if that's the case, then it's really important to deworm that dog. Okay, and and the key is to deworm with a product effective against tapeworm, uh, the tinea tapeworm in particular, um, which is different than from some other tapeworms like dipalidium. Okay, and can you offer any specific products and treatment regimes that yeah. have seen successful? So generally, because New Zealand and Australia have had a, had trouble with this parasite, uh, even more so than Canada has, it, it's been a big issue over there. And generally, um, you want to deworm. So if dogs are having continuous access to carcasses, you'd want to deworm them ideally every five weeks that would be optimal okay and that's because it takes from the time that dog ingests that cyst it takes six weeks until they're shedding eggs right so if you're able to deworm at five week intervals then you're never catching it exactly so so that's an optimal strategy and and the products you want to use that are effective against tinea ovis uh, are, are dewormers that contain Fenbendazole, praziquantel, and then there's other ones like epsiprontol and nitroscanate. Okay, so those are effective against tinea tapeworms um, and, and would do a very good job of, of clearing up any infection that that dog might have. Okay, great. And that's something that, that uh, if you're a sheep producer and you're like the large animal veterinarian mm-hmm. that's on there, and that sheep producer is taking their um, their dog to a small animal vet, they should you know come armed with that information because that differs from what we traditionally do for companion animals. Yeah, it, it can. Um, it dep- yeah, you definitely if you're taking your dog, and I mean not a, a lot of times it's the farm vet that will yeah. end up deworming these dogs. Generally, they don't travel well. Like sometimes, especially yeah. if you're dealing with guardian dogs, they, they're used to just being out in the pasture, right, or in the barn. So so usually, I think, in the majority of cases, it is uh, uh, the farm vet that's often deworming these dogs. But certainly, yes, if you're bringing any of your if you, pets to any veterinarian, I think it's important that they know that these dogs might have contact with sheep carcasses okay and and i think then you that can kind of guide treatment um great and the label doses are still effective like there's no special dosing that's required no no um yeah just just regular label dosing is effective against tinea every five weeks throughout the year depending on their risk level like exactly so if if you're yeah if your dog's not scab like if you if your dog never has contact with sheep carcasses, then I mean, I certainly don't think it's indicated to deworm them every five weeks. The every five week rule was intended for dogs that that continuously scavenge sheep carcasses, or sometimes producers will, in an effort to save money, supplement some of their their dog food with dead sheep. Okay, I see. Okay. Yeah. So if that's the case, then you definitely want to make sure you're deworming um, on a regular basis, ideally every five weeks. Right, okay. Yeah, although it's surprising, even when you think they don't have access to stuff, it's surprising what they'll get into when you're not looking. Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the big emphasis. So I, I, there's a lot of, like, it is important to deworm your dogs on your farm, but I think the more important point to remember is, is we want to try and limit access to these dead sheep carcasses, okay? And, and you can do that through uh, good disposal methods. Mm-hmm. Do you know of any good resources for that veterinarians could direct their producers to for disposing of? 
Yeah, so so in Ontario, Omafra has has a great um, website, and and on there is a bunch of different disposal methods. Okay. Okay. Um, and and tells you exactly what's required in terms of what's legal, what's not, and and certainly I think. Even at Omafra, there's people that you can contact um, specifically about dead stock disposal questions. Yes, there are. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, great. Um, so we can we will post a, a link to that on our page when we're posting the podcast too. Excellent. So it's easy. Um, okay, so here were a couple of questions from our practitioners in our um, in our Owen Small Ruminant Network group. Um, so for treating dogs regularly for tapeworms, see Ova specifically. Without diagnostics, are we at risk of creating resistance, as we've seen with uh, with the anthelmintics we use in sheep? It's a great question. Um, certainly, I think if you're deworming dogs every five weeks, um, it's a theoretical possibility. Okay, but I think the risk overall is is extremely low. Um, okay. Currently, there's been no documented evidence of. Uh, resistance in tinea ovis Uh Um, and I mean compared to say gastrointestinal nematodes the indirect life cycle of of this parasite like sheep and dogs both are required I think it makes things uh, the potential for resistance to develop a lot less likely so if you consider what has to happen for resistance to develop a dog has to be dewormed and then a tapeworm has to survive the deworming it has to then shed eggs into the pasture, and then a sheep has to consume those. And even if it does consume it, then that same sheep has to then be eaten by another dog. So, so I mean, there's a lot of steps in that process that could potentially happen. I just think the risk of it is, is okay. very small. Okay. Um, and then what's the status of wild animals? Are coyotes carrying COVID and spreading it? And if so... How do they? How do farmers prevent access to to their sheep? Yeah, that's a great question too, and and, and certainly a big concern among sheep producers in Canada because uh, predation due to uh, wild canids, coyotes in particular, is a huge challenge for sheep producers. And um, so, what what we found in, in talking with some experts, um, we we think that it's certainly likely coyotes are getting exposed okay so so i think they're eat they're certainly eating sheep um Mm -hmm. and and potentially getting exposed to the parasite but i think the risk of them transmitting it back to sheep um in another flock or in the same flock is pretty low and i think the reason for that is because of their defecation patterns um a pasture or farmyard is it would be considered a high risk area for them. Like it's it's stressful. It's around people. It's not to be out in the open. Exactly. Sure. And so when they're oh doing that um, or hunting, I think for the most part they they go in try and scavenge or kill some sheep or lambs and then and then would retreat back. Okay. So so they're not actually spending a lot of time defecating on on pastures. Mm. Um, I think there's certainly the potential there, and, and sure, they could, they could potentially be spreading, um, but I don't think that's a focus of our, or that shouldn't be the focus of our control programs. We should much more focus on domestic canids and dead stock disposal. Yeah. One risk factor Dr. Menzies mentioned was um, was was coyotes maybe gathering around round bales that were left out or wooded areas yeah. or something if sheep were turned out in those areas. Yeah, there there's some evidence um, in a different uh, parasite uh, in, of cattle that show that 
coyotes could potentially, um, when they're kind of scouting and looking for prey, they might use round bales to mm. sit on top of and, and potentially defecate in those round bales, and that could serve as a mode of transmission. Um, but it's possible, but again, I think um, and there's not a lot at this point. Certainly, you want to minimize the impact coyotes have on your production. Um, well, 100%, but, yeah. But, but I think the main issue um, is domestic canids, and instead of trying to um, eliminate uh, coyotes from from a farm, which I don't think is actually possible, I think you should a better um, use of time, money, resources would be to dispose of dead stock properly yeah. so coyotes can't have access, dogs can't have access, and, and to deworm your own farm dogs. Right, and encourage your neighbors to do the same. It would be helpful, yes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I guess, yeah. All right, good. How you can have a neighborhood deworming party. Yeah, it would be. And yes, barbecue exactly. or something. Exactly. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to share with us before we conclude with your, your portion of the interview? Um, no, just that, that Sista Circus Ovis has, has really become um, a national issue. Like I know historically in Canada, when we did see cases, it was typically associated with lambs in Western Canada. But, but our research showed that, that endemic transmission of this parasite is really occurring across Canada now. Right. So it's certainly not just a Western issue. There's transmission occurring in Ontario likely transmission occurring in Quebec. Our, our studies showed that we had, like, there were cases originating from farms from British Columbia to Quebec and every province in between. So, so it's really a, a national issue. And the other thing, too, I guess, is, is what we see at abattoirs, which is the main reason the, the whole driving principle is the economic losses associated with this parasite. Um, what we see at abattoirs is, is really an underrepresentation right. of true infection, okay? Um, we only see the most heavily infected carcasses, okay? And those are the ones that are condemned. So, so we're, the, the true prevalence of infection in Canada is likely much greater than, than the abattoir data or condemnation data indicate. Okay, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, perfect. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. So I'm also joined by Dr. Alexandra Reed, who is the vet scientist um, in the food inspection, food inspection and audit unit. Did I get that right, Alex? Veterinary inspection and audit unit. Okay. In food inspection branch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Alex will be Alex will be answering a few questions from the OMAFRA perspective. So what's the current state of C. ovis uh, in Ontario from a from a slaughter perspective and condemnation? It's certainly one of the more common things we find in small ruminants, usually it isn't generalized through the carcass. You know, it's just a few nodules found in the heart or the diaphragm or the head, but it's certainly something that we run into a fair bit. Okay. Hence the podcast. Hence the podcast. Um, so how are, slaughter plants, how are slaughter plants diagnosing it, and how often are we seeing it in, like, as far as general prevalence of it? Yeah, so, I mean, most of our food inspection system is, we call it organoleptic, right? So you're using your senses, sight, smell, hearing. We try not to encourage people to use taste, but... Probably <laughs> But, you know, when they're doing a, an examination of the carcass, we have them incise the cheek mm -hmm. muscles, and we have them incise the heart, and part of that is to look for cystocerci, and then as well to look through the carcass. They look through the carcass for other cysts, so can okay. they see them visibly in the diaphragm, 
And once they start finding a couple, we get them to incise a little bit more deeply okay. into some muscle groups just to look for sites of predilection around the hips, for example. Okay, gotcha. And so if you find one one abs or one cyst, are you condemning the whole carcass? No. Or? So, I mean, there's no food safety risk from cyst, like this particular cystocircus. It's not like the beef or pork tapeworms that okay. can infect people. So it's really just if it's localized, we're condemning that part. And the vast majority of condemnations, like in the last year, uh, we've condemned about 1,100 hearts okay. for cystocircus ovus, but the vast majority of carcasses are approved. Okay. So we can do um, condemning multiple parts, and we can also do something called a cut under supervision, where our inspector actually watches them cut up the carcass to make sure there's no more cysts and any additional cysts can be removed. Okay. Gotcha. And then some just look terrible, and right. there's no trimming possible. Okay, so then that is a full carcass condemnation. Yeah. Okay. And so what does, so you outlined a little bit of that. What is there, what happens aside from just noting it down um, when you find C. Ovis? Um, not a whole lot. There's some, obviously some feedback when the plant operator tells someone whether a carcass is mm -hmm. condemned or a portion of their carcass is condemned. Um, and we've been saving ear tags and sending them back to Dr. Jocelyn Jensen along mm -hmm. with the data slaughter and she can do some follow-up. Um, a lot of the affected lambs particularly, they come from out west. Mm -hmm. The prevalence seems to be higher out there, and it's hard to get feedback back to Alberta that a lamb that may have been sold from a feedlot months before had right. cystic circus. Yeah, it's pretty hard to say. That was exactly where it came from. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, Alex, what happens when we do get a positive in an Ontario plant for Ciovis? So, we save the ear tag from that animal, or if it's a group of animals that are all affected, a representative couple of ear tags, and we give them back to Jocelyn Jensen who is the small ruminant specialist and veterinarian who does the follow-up mm -hmm. for us. Um, and then we also, like, we're sharing this information with Owen, and all of our carcass condemnation data is posted online as well for public right. viewing. So we can put that online with the podcast information yep. too, so that people, and that's a new thing for this year um, that wasn't previously available. Um, but yeah, we are noting it uh, and trending it in, um, in Owen for sure. Yep. So as if you're reading our reports, then it's a great, great place to get a summary of, of that and some of the more important things with condemnation. But if you are a data file, you can check it out online as well as some drug residue information. Yes. So Alex, one last question for you. If a practitioner is doing a postmortem in the field, what would they look out for um, with COVID lesions? So it, it, they're pretty small. They're kind of pea-sized. And when the lesions are fresh, um, they look almost like a frog egg to me. They're sort of clear and jelly-like with a little white dot in them, and that's the little larval tapeworm. Okay. And then as the, the sheet mounts an immune response, it actually gets a thick kind of white fibrous capsule around it, and it'll turn into this little green abscess. So they okay. sort of range from jelly-like to solid whitish to the final stage. is pretty much just a little ball of pus, and they're quite small. Okay, and most common areas to find them? So the most common areas to find them are the really actively used muscles, so the cheek muscles, the heart muscles, the diaphragm, and we find around the shoulders and the hips pretty commonly. Okay, great. All right. Do you want to know about the other tapeworm that we find in them? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. On. So there's a, another tapeworm that we see once in a while called a, some people call it, this, I think, a bladder worm, but it's Cystocircus tenucolis, mm -hmm. so it's another dog tapeworm. And this one will insist on the surface. So you see them on the surface of the heart, on the surface of the liver, and inside the body cavity. So you might find both these tapeworms together, depending on parasite control, or you might just find that one. And that one's easier to lop off because it's superficial. It's not right in the muscle. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll have some, um, we'll, if we can, we'll have some resources posted with the podcast or on the Owen side, uh, site, on the veterinary side, for people to access uh, pictures and whatnot. Sure. Okay, thanks very much. You're welcome.